hello we will talk about the flexor retinaculum the carpal bones and the carpal tunnel so uh, as you have gathered from some diagrams that are given in your book and everything that the carpal bones are basically present between the lower end of the forearm bones that means laterally the radius and medially the ulna and distal to the carpal bones we get the metacarpals keeping this thing in mind when you divide the carpal bones you see that few of them are towards the forearm bones whereas the rest of them are towards the metacarpals so those bones belonging to the carpals are towards your wrist joint that means towards the radius and the ulna so they will evidently take part in formation of the wrist joint whereas those that are distal and towards the metacarpal they will basically take part in formation of the metacarpophalangeal joints so what are the carpal bones so from lateral to medial we will have four each and there will be two rows so one row is towards the lower end of the radius and the ulna hence forth we will talk about this as the proximal row and the other one is towards the metacarpals about which we will talk about the distal row now what you start doing right now is take a copy and a pen and draw two rows of four small squares so as you are drawing you are mostly drawing from the left side of the copy to the right side so towards the left side right radial or lateral similarly towards the right side of the page right medial or ulnar now once you have drawn the first line of the four squares below them that means towards the just below them draw another four squares just like the previous ones above the first row right radius and ulna below the second row right metacarpals so one thing is pretty clear to you from this particular diagram that where are the carpals and how were they placed right so now we are going to name the carpals see you have drawn four squares towards your radius and ulna and four squares towards the metacarpals so those four squares that are towards your radius and ulna are the proximal row whereas the one which is towards the metacarpal is your distal row so we start naming them from lateral to the medial side so the lateral most one in the proximal row okay is called as the scaphoid beside it you have got the lunate beside it is the triquetral and above the triquetral lies the pisiform once you come to the distal row what do you get the lateral most is the trapezium 
followed by the trapezoid then you get the capitet and last you get the hamet so overall what you find is that lateral to medial proximal row is scaphoid lunate triquetral pisiform she looks too pretty she s for scaphoid looks l for lunate two t for triquetral pretty p for pisiform then the distal row again we start from lateral and move medially what do we have got laterally the lateral most is the trapezium then you have got the trapezoid then we have got the capitet and then we have got the hamet so the distal row is try to catch her try t for trapezium 2 t for trapezoid catch c for capitet her h for hamet so those are your eight carpal bones now one thing that you must note right now take a look in any standard textbook that is bdc or akd it may even be your grays or snell when you take a look in this and see the carpal bones you find that the pc form is not exactly lying beside the triquetral but it is lying above the triquetral that means on which surface it is present on the flexor surface of the triquetral okay it is present above the flexor surface of the triquetral similarly you find a couple of more things the second thing that you find is that the scaphoid and the lunate and a part of the triquetral they take part in articulating with your radius or more specifically the scaphoid and the lunate is articulating with your radius but the triquetral with the pc form sitting on it is not coming in direct contact with the head of the ulna so in your diagram what are you supposed to do in your diagram where you have written all those four squares and everything sir towards the upper one okay that means where you have written radius and ulna there make two squares one beside the other one will be pretty large that is the lower end of the radius which will come in relation with your scaphoid and lunate okay that will come in relation with your scaphoid and lunate so draw another square there okay just superior to your scaphoid and lunate and draw one smaller square above your triquetral okay but remember keep a gap between this square that you are drawing over the triquetral now once you have drawn it so the second thing that you do is pick up some other color and draw a line between the square representing the ulna and the square representing the triquetral this line that you have drawn now is called as the articular disc this particular horizontal line separating the ulna from the triquetral is the articular disc and this articular disc does not allow the ulna to come and participate in 
the wrist joint so the wrist joint is now being more correctly called as a radiocarpal joint why radiocarpal because if you note in your diagram what you have done is that the lower end of the radius has articulated with your scaphoid and lunate but the lower end of the ulna that means the ulnar head had not been allowed to articulate with the triquetral so once you have understood this much let's go to the distal in the distal orientation we have got those four and distal to them we have the five metacarpals consult any book to understand their orientation now once you have understood the carpal bones what we are going to talk about is the flexor retinaculum so what is flexor retinaculum flexor retinaculum is an aponeurotic band like structure that is connecting the carpal bones and it is present on the flexor aspect it is present on the flexor aspect now to give you a very simple idea about the flexor retinaculum ki what does it actually appear like architecturally sir architecturally this is like a bridge and a bridge as you know has got two ends right on either side of the river you will be getting the two ends of the bridge and the ends of the bridge are always standing on pillars they are always standing on the pillars so if they are standing on the pillars so here also your flexor retinaculum will be attached to the lateral most bones and the medial most bones and those attachment to the lateral most bone and the medial most bones will be henceforth referred to as the pillars for attachment of flexor retinaculum so what can be the bones on the lateral uh, uh, lateral side so on the lateral side we have a proximal bone and a distal bone and definitely you have guessed it correctly that the proximal bone will be yes the scaphoid what will be the distal bone lateral that will be obviously the trapezium now similarly if you go to the medial aspect so think what was the proximal bone on the medial aspect yes guessed it correctly said so that was our pc form sitting peacefully over the triquetral or what was the distal right sir it's a hamet so these four bones that means laterally scaphoid and trapezium medially the pc form and the hamet okay so they form the pillars for the flexor retinaculum now think if they are forming the pillars for the flexor retinaculum what will happen below the flexor retinaculum yes sir absolutely right there will be a gap and now if you think it you have guessed it correctly you said this now looks like a canal this absolutely looks like a canal where the roof is being formed by the flexor retinaculum and the floor is actually formed by your carpal bones 
so you have the proximal row of the carpal bone then the distal row of the carpal bone and then above them covering them on their flexor aspect you have got the flexor retinaculum and between this aponeurotic flexor retinaculum and the osseous carpal bones you have got a tunnel or a canal so this particular tunnel this particular tunnel because you know the major difference between a tunnel and a canal is this that the canal is generally having the roof open so you can actually see the water flowing through but a tunnel is a circular structure right through which things can pass so here you have a tunnel whose roof is made up of fibrous tissue which we call as aponeurosis and its floor is made up of the osseous structures that means the carpal bones so this particular tunnel is called as the carpal tunnel right why is this called as the carpal tunnel because it is formed in relation with the carpals of the Reis joint so that is why we say that the carpal tunnel is an osseo because of the carpal bones and aponeurotic because of the flexor retinaculum it's an osseo aponeurotic tunnel now once you have formed this tunnel so we are telling that architecturally this is like a bridge now why do we make a bridge because something will go below the bridge so here in this case of your forearm and wrist and hand what will be passing below this particular bridge like structure of flexor retinaculum absolutely correctly guessed sir this is nothing but the flexor digitorium superficialis four tendons flexor digitorium profundus four tendons and the flexor pollicis longus one tendon so the flexor pollicis longus is going towards the first digit whereas the flexor digitorium superficialis and profundus they are going towards the phalanx of the rest of the four digits and they pass below this particular flexor retinaculum now if you are thinking right now you are hearing this at times you are increasing the volume at times you are decreasing the volume with your other hand you are writing something note something what is happening see the positioning of your phalangeal joints of the finger so they are flexed and through the entire day if you note you will see that there is constant flexions and extensions happening with relation to the digits what does it signify sir it signifies that the flexor tendons are in a constant contraction and relaxation now if some muscle is in constant relaxation and in contraction what does it mean indirectly yes sir this will actually undergo a lot of friction so the roof is formed by my flexor retinaculum which is a fibrous aponeurotic structure similarly if you are talking about the floor it is a bony structure and what is passing 
the long tendons so they are also fibrous structures so to prevent the constant friction happening what are we supposed to do so definitely we should put something which will prevent these particular hard fibrous structures from coming in contact with each other so those structures are called as your synovial sheath here it is called as the ulnar bursa that separates the long flexor tendons of the flexor digitorium superficialis from the long tendons of flexor digitorium profundus now how do you understand it sir very easy either write e or write 3 see what happens when you are writing 3 or e whenever you are writing 3 or e there are like three horizontal lines interconnected by one vertical line at one edge so basically i can say if i name these particular horizontal lines i can name them as 1 2 3 from above downwards so between 1 and 2 there is a space and between 2 and 3 there is a space so the space which is between 1 and 2 that is containing your flexor digitorium superficialis because that is the more superficial plane and on the one other side so you have got the 2 and the 3 so that one is your deeper plane and it contains the flexor digitorium profundus so if on one side you are drawing e what is the mirror image of e sir it is 3 see even in case of 3 you have got between the 1 and 2 there is a gap so that is for flexor digitorium superficialis between 2 and 3 you have got the flexor digitorium profundus okay so your ulnar bursa is basically shaped in this manner okay so uh, if you are looking towards the right side it will appear as the e okay and if you are looking towards the left side it will appear as the 3 clear now what about the ulnar bursa and what about the radial bursa okay so as we had said so if you are talking about the right side okay if you are talking about the right side it should actually appear as 3 whereas in case of the left limb okay that means your left wrist joint if you take a cross section it will appear as e okay now you will just see any standardized textbook to get the entire shape of this thing okay you will understand it now next comes j what else is there so deep to your flexor retinaculum you have the ulnar bursa which is covering your flexor digitorium superficialis and your flexor digitorium profundus and we have one more tendon which was called as the flexor pollicis longus so that is also covered by its synovial sheath and this synovial sheath is called as a radial bursa this synovial sheath is known as the radial bursa so apart from these three muscles having their nine tendons what else passes through very important structure that passes below the flexor retinaculum is the median nerve 
now what is this median nerve sir you know median nerve is one of the major nerves of the upper limb and beyond the wrist joint it is responsible for supplying majorly two groups of muscles what are they they supplies the first two lumbricals that means the lateral most lumbricals one and two and it supplies the muscles of the thinner eminence okay that particular mass the same uh, muscle mass that is present just below the level of the thumb that is called as the thinner eminence so in the thinner eminence muscles and the two lumbricals are supplied by my median nerve now whenever there is an infection of the long tendons or of the synovial sheath covering these long tendons that means the long tendons of the fds and the fdp that means we are talking about the ulnar bursa okay so whenever there is an infection of the ulnar bursa or there is an infection of the tendons what will happen je this particular osseoaponeurotic tunnel see it's aponeurosis which is not stretchable other side is osseous that means bone that is also not stretchable so automatically your carpal tunnel becomes a structure with kind of fixed dimensions now when something is of a fixed dimension and structures are passing through it if one of the structure just undergoes a bit of swelling what happens to the rest of the structures they said they will be now compressed so in case of a tenosynovitis what is a tenosynovitis a tenosynovitis means either the inflammation of the tendon or the inflammation of the synovial sheath so a tenosynovitis will lead to the compression of the median nerve will lead to the compression of the median nerve and as it leads to the compression of the median nerve what is the outcome the outcome is impairment of the motor activity of your lumbricals and the thinner group of muscles je when there is a compression of the median nerve what will it lead to it will basically lead to impairment now why not complete loss because sir you are just pressing the nerve you are not cutting the nerve we have a complete loss of faction when the nerve is completely cut when it is there is no way of communication between the nerve and the muscle but here what is happening there is a communication happening between the nerve and the muscle what is getting affected that the nerve is being compressed so it leads to an impairment in the muscular activity so what happens is the person unable to now lumbricals what is the function you know it is responsible for flexing the metacarpophalangeal joint and extension of the interphalangeal joints so what will happen will there be complete loss no it will not be there what will rather be there is that the patient will have weakness the patient will have difficulty in flexing the mcp and keeping the ip joints extended okay so the patient will have a complaint where he or she is having difficulty okay he or she will complain of pain and this particular difficulty of being unable to grip something okay so that is what is one of the primary features of carpal tunnel now definitely in a long 
outstanding case where the muscles are not exactly getting their nerve supply that means they're not getting their stimuli what will happen there will be a bit of atrophy of the thinner group of muscles because lumbarical muscles are basically very deep you won't be able to see them but the thinner eminence is a very prominent eminence so the muscles of the thinner eminence will be getting shrunk they will be getting a bit atrophied okay but again then again this particular atrophy is not a very permanent one you take proper care of the problem it will be revived okay number two but then sir why isn't that the ulna nerve does not suffer in this case because the ulna nerve passes superficial to your flexor retinaculum okay so why is the ulna nerve spared in this case the ulna nerve is spared in this case because the ulna nerve passes superficial to the flexor retinaculum whereas the median nerve passes deep to it it is for that reason that in carpal tunnel syndrome there is compression of the median nerve but there is no compression of the ulna nerve thank you